Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is a loose woman, a regular on The Power List, the lead presenter on ITV's Evening News and an RTS winner. And she seems like a lot of fun. Now, really for this podcast, I've actually never met her before, so I'm very excited about speaking to the broadcaster Charlene White. Today's episode is, of course, sponsored by Solgar, with more than 300 products that bear the hallmark of the gold label. Distributed in over 60 countries across the globe, Solgar is trusted by millions of consumers worldwide. So head to solgar.co.uk and you can use The Midpoint for 30% off. That's the code The Midpoint for 30% off. OK, let's have a chat to Charlene. Hello, Charlene. It's so lovely to see you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me, Gabby. I was very excited when your name popped up in my email box. I was like, oh, it's Gabby Logan. <laughs> well, this is, I just said in your introduction, actually, it's very unusual that somebody comes on here that I've actually never physically met before because um, I've usually had some kind of association with somebody. So yeah. thank you for trusting me because you don't know me oh. really. But um, also, I feel like I know you because I see you on telly all the time. You feel like the busiest <laughs> woman on telly at the moment. Does life feel very hectic? Uh, it does, and everyone always says that. Everyone says, you're like the busiest woman in telly. You're never off the telly. Um, but I'm not actually on it that often. It's really strange, because I only do, like, national news once a week, and I do loose once a week. But everyone always thinks I do it five days a week, and I don't. Yeah, I suppose there is that thing with news that you think you're doing it all the time. So you only have to do it yeah. once a week, national well, news. Well, yeah, because because I'm... I um, Mary and I share evening news. So Mary does Monday to Thursdays, and I do Fridays, and I fill in for her obviously when she's not around but people always think that I'm on it constantly but yeah. I'm, I'm not I've got and a lasting also, presence clearly <laughs> <laughs> also when you do a show like Loose Women you feel it feels like you're everywhere because then those magazines all pick up on you don't they so when you go in the supermarket we see your face more and and there's a t temptation for people to think that you're an overnight success but of course like most people in telly and journalism you know you this is what you studied you've been doing it kind of your whole life Yeah, I've been doing it over 20 years now. And I've been at ITV 15 years, I think. I think this is my 15th year at being at ITV. And I sort of started off as the overnight girl, working really horrendous shifts. Um, you know, getting in at nine o'clock at night and not leaving till 10 o'clock the following morning. Seven days on, seven days off. So I sort of toiled away for a really long time, sort of make my mark at ITV. So yeah, when people sort of say, oh no, you're, like you've, you know, you're only doing it because, you know, they want a bit of diversity on the screen. It's like, no, actually, I've been doing this a long time. And we were really pleased in our house, actually, because I'm living in the area that we get London news. And when ah. you were on that, we used to love you. And so we were really happy when you became national as well. So, oh, um, Gabby, so, that's really kind. No, it's true. It's true, because you're very, very good at what you do. Um, you're not there for any other reason than that, which is a shame that anybody would even level that accusation at you. Oh, I get it. I get it a lot, but it's like water for ducks back to Of me. course. <laughs> are you, though, where you thought you'd be at the age you are in terms of your career? You know, when you sat back and kind of looked into the future? No, actually. And what's really interesting is 
I tend, I'm a planner, so I plan for different aspects of my career to happen at different points. But the switch happened when I did News at 10, and I didn't imagine that I would ever do that in my 30s. It was in my plan for my 40s. So, you know, when I'm in my 40s, that's when I'll start doing News at 10. So when I was asked to do it, and that was back in 2015, I mean, I was so stunned I could barely even Did you have to rip the plan up? I mean, what happened to well, the plan? Yeah. I was like, it's not, it's not what I planned for. This is all just, t- I don't quite know what I'm supposed to say here. And when they, when my boss rang to ask me to do it, I'd been at an awards do during the day. So I'd had a lot of bubbles and I'd had a lot of gin. So when he rang me, I was clearly, you know, quite drunk. And I didn't quite understand what was going on. And I remember saying to Robin, I said, look, I'm finding it really difficult to get my head around this, Robin. Can we talk tomorrow when I've got a little bit less alcohol in my system? Because I'm really confused. And it actually came as a bolt out of the blue. And that's the one time that somebody has believed in me more than I believe in myself. And that's when careers are made, I think. Because you can plan to the hilt like I had. But what it took was someone seeing something in me that I hadn't seen in myself yet. And that's when everything changed for me, really. Tell me about this planning, because this is a a thing which we've been discussing, actually, on my social media, because Tamsin Althwaite was on the last episode and talked about how she goes with the flow. You know, she's like water. And so I kind of put it out there to the listeners, you know, are you someone that goes with the flow or do you like a plan? I I like a plan. I'm trying to go more with the flow, though. But I've never really... (laughs) plotted my career as such so why did you when when did was that right back from when you kind of graduated from journalism before before actually so I knew that I wanted to be a broadcast journalist but I knew that I wanted to get a print foundation because I felt that you needed to learn the basics of how to write articles how to structure a piece and the broadcast stuff will come you'll learn how to behave in front of a camera you'll learn how to use your voice you'll learn how to use your mannerisms but you have to learn the basics Mm -hmm. so I I did something that other people didn't do and I did a print journalism course knowing I didn't want to stay in print journalism but I felt that that foundation was important and that was where the plans really started. I knew I'd do that but I knew my first job was likely to be in broadcast journalism so despite the fact that everybody else in my course was were doing you know work experience at papers and magazines I immediately went for broadcast and I did that because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And does that apply to your private life then as well? Did you say children at this age? And no, no, no. I think it's always a massive misconception, I think, where women are concerned when we have our kids later. People say, oh, it's because they put their career first and they were thinking about their career first. It's like, you know, we're not one homogenous group that all sat there and went, do you know what we're going to do? We're all going to make our lives that much more difficult when it comes to conceiving, that much more difficult where you have little ones running around when you're in your 40s. We're all going to just do that because that seems like a sensible option, uh, because we all want to work in our careers. It doesn't work that way. I think, you know, life is very different from when our parents were younger, and meeting people happens at a later stage in life, where we want to feel like we're meeting people who are very similar to, to ourselves, who, you know, understand that our careers, yes, are important, who, you know... We, there is no rush, basically, I think. We're mm-hmm. not in a rush to do it. And I didn't meet my partner until I was 35. So what about the family around you? Because like you point out, that wasn't the previous generation's experience. Were your family quite traditional? Did they think you were leaving it too late? Did you get that? Oh, my goodness of... me, like, constantly. Like, are you going to meet someone? You need to have children. You're getting older. You know, because my parents, by the time they were 35, they had 
two of us, my, you know, my mum, I'm the eldest, my mum and dad have me in their 20s. They did find it pretty strange. My dad found it weird that I went through the whole of my 20s without getting married or having children. They did find it strange. But then they're around other people of their generation who also have children who aren't doing it in their 20s. So, you know, my dad had to get used to the fact that this is sort of the new the new normal, but they would constantly, constantly be asking me when I was going to settle down and, you know, stop living this life of essentially working and raving 24-7. <laughs> you said there about having children, young children in your early 40s, and you are at the young uh, end of the, the kind of age range of midlife. You know, it's supposed to be about 38, the Economic and Social yeah. Research Council says it starts. And that was the one thing. When I had, I had twins at 32 and there was a woman who was having twins at 42 under the same obstetrician. Oh. And I remember thinking, goodness, she's going to be exhausted, you know, because that 10 years felt massive at that stage. Yeah. And then when I was exhausted, I, was, I always remember thinking, how is she doing? I hope she's all right. <laughs> um, and of course, when I was 42, I thought, I've got an abundance of energy. What, you know, what was I thinking about? Like as if she was some geriatric mother. Do you feel like sometimes, you know... That oh my goodness, massive. Exhausted. Yeah, and it's because I've got two under five, so you are running around after them. They're not at a stage where you can kind of leave them in a room to keep themselves occupied. They're not that age. They're constantly wanting to do stuff. You know, Florence between, that's my youngest, between one and four o'clock this morning was getting up every 40 minutes and screaming my name. And it got to the point where I just ignored her and eventually she got really annoyed and passed out and finally went to sleep. Um, you know, but I still have to work in that time. You know, I know people can't see me at the moment, but I'm in my gym gear because I still had to get up and do my training this morning and still get the kids up and get them ready. There is no lying. They're still no. getting up at 6 30. And you've got to look fresh on telly as well. Exactly. So mm. it's, I, I, I compare it to a really good friend of mine, Patrice, who is a lot younger than me. Patrice is in a mid mid to late 20s and in the time that I've had two so her eldest is five like Alfie she has just given birth to her fifth and I always sort of look at her and I'm like I do not understand how you're even sane right now and then I have to remember she is almost 20 years younger than me so her energy levels are very different her you know capacity for dealing with screaming children her capacity is completely different from mine and her body's different from mine her body can sort of handle that in a way that a woman in her 40s would would perhaps struggle with so I just marvel at her I'm like I just don't understand and she works and she works full time like I just don't get it um, but her energy levels are, are different. And I do feel it. I do, I do feel the difference. When George Floyd was killed and Black Lives Matter kind of happened in, in lockdown, you were very vocal and in lots of areas as, as lots of prominent, powerful black women and men were. And you know, you've been on the black power list for a few years. And yeah. that was a moment to stand up and kind of say, right, my voice will be heard here and I'm going to be counted and I'm going to make sure that this um, this happens. How comfortably did that sit with you? And was that a very natural process for you to, to be? Oh, well, I've, I've always I've always spoken up about stuff. Um, you know, my mum was a social worker. My my aunt um, was a deputy head. They both sort of spoke openly on behalf of those whose voices tend to be silenced. That's what they did in their roles. And we were raised to not just care about the people within our homes, but to care about what happened to other people whose voices aren't always heard. That's how I was raised. So in terms of speaking up and speaking out about things, that's what I've always done. So throughout my career, and there have been those that have sort of said, yeah, but if you keep talking, you know, you may well hold yourself back career-wise. I said, well, 
I'm not here to just think about myself. I'm not just here to think about my career because a path I take and the things that I do will have an impact on those that come after me in the same way that those that have come before me have laid the path for me to be able to be open about the things that I talk about. So it wasn't, I never felt uncomfortable or anything like that because it's what I've Mm. been doing anyway. I don't particularly care that much about people that are upset about the things that I say because their concern should be about those whose lives are impacted by racism. That's where the concern should be. And I don't really have that much concern for people who sort of say, oh, you you shouldn't talk that much about race and you shouldn't talk that much about women. You shouldn't, but I'm not here to be told what I should and shouldn't be talking about. I talk about things because they're not always highlighted Mm. by other people. And I think we live a richer life when we understand the realities of people's lives that are unlike our own. We have to learn from other people. That's the point of life, I think. Are you glad you're alive right now, able to do this? Does this feel like a good time to be you? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, there are those who's, who have come before me, who who are probably more talented than I am, who have been doing it a lot longer than I have been, who haven't been allowed to get to the levels of their career that they had hoped because of their sex, because of their sexuality, because of their race, all of those things. And I think that because of the path that they took and the path that they forged, that's the only reason why I'm able to do what I do. I'm under no illusions. I'm not the only person that can do what I do. I'm not the only person that has ever been able to do what I do. None of of us are, are me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I, as a result of the path that the other people have forged, I have been allowed to be given the opportunity to do what I do. And I understand that and I appreciate that and I feel blessed to have been in the position that I am at the time in life that we are in at the moment, that I've been able to do that. What I will never do, what I've never been taught to do, is to pull the ladder up behind me. That's Mm. not what I'm supposed to do at all. That's not what any of us should be doing. So in terms of nurturing and helping to build the next generation, that's what we should all be doing Mm -hmm. and not just be doing it for those that look like us, sound like us, live the lives that we lead. Otherwise, what's the point? No, exactly. Well said. And um, you'll carry on doing that, I'm sure, with greater and greater purpose. I think that's the wonderful thing about getting older as well, because we kind of have more confidence about doing that, don't we? And we have more time to do that and share. And that's uh, one of the lovely things, I think, as I approach 50, actually, that, you know, you kind of, there is an an urgency, isn't there, in your 20s? And you do kind of perhaps kind of run a little bit through those situations, but you have more time to think about it. So what about the mental kind of space? Because when you're dealing with the kind of topics you're dealing with on the news, you know, and throwing yourself really deep into those subjects, and it's a very distressing time for lots of people, what's been going on in the world from the pandemic to war in Ukraine. How does your mental kind of fortitude stand up when you get home then and you've got the you know, two children, very demanding. Your brain's been frazzled all day. Because I always think those things are a lot easier to cope with kind of when you haven't got the external, do you know what I mean, yeah. the going on. And and often, historically, it was men doing those jobs, wasn't it? You know, it's only the last 20, yeah. 30 years that more women have done those roles. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because stories hit differently to me now. I've had children and I find myself getting way more emotional about stories in a way I definitely didn't pre-five years ago. 
And that came as quite a shock to me because it wasn't something that I necessarily expected. You work in news and you are, as you say, you are thrown these stories on a daily basis and you have to have a disconnect because otherwise you you can't cope emotionally um, and you can't cope mentally with what you have to deal with and see every day. You know, what an audience sees when they they tune into one of our news programmes, what they watch for half an hour or an hour is a snapshot of what we have to see throughout our shift at work. And we're doing it every single day. So I've always had that disconnect. And then you have children and those stories of, you know, mums in in Ukraine or mums in Syria, Afghanistan, you, you, you watch those packages and it suddenly hits your heart in a way that has never hit me before. And you're right, when it came to men doing those programmes before, you wouldn't necessarily see so much emotion but I do find that increasingly when women are, are, are doing it, it, it's that much more difficult. We give birth to them. They are attached to us. They're physically attached to us before they are produced to the world. And there is a connection that exists with women that doesn't necessarily exist with men. And yeah, I, I find it a lot more difficult now to detach myself from that. But when I come home, I, I very rarely watch news programmes or documentaries about death and destruction because I just don't want it in my house. I have to mm. deal with it outside of the doors. I deal with it as soon as I walk into it, to the office, as soon as I go into the studio. My mind cannot cope with then having to deal with it at home as well because I want to protect my children from seeing the hurt that I have to deal with at work and have to try mm. and hide at work. I don't want that them to see that within me. So as far as possible, I try not to watch news programmes. I will scroll through and I will read the online pages, but I won't necessarily... I, I don't, actually. I don't sit and watch a news programme when I'm at home because I just don't want to bring it here. Mm, mm. And the antidote to that, of course, is some of the stories you cover on Loose Women that are at the other sca- yeah. <laughs> end of the spectrum, aren't they? So, yeah. I mean, you do deal with some very serious topics as well, yeah. of course. And actually, our audience and people listening to this will love some of the things you cover on Loose Women because you speak to women who are going through all kinds of things, you know, this kind of age as yeah. well, which is really relevant. It's it's the perfect antidote, I think, to what I deal with, you know, the, the hurt and stuff that you have to watch and, and talk about on the news. Doing loose, is the for me, is the perfect antidote for that because I get to do the light and dark. It's so perfect for my personality. You know, I work in an industry where, you know, people tend to historically like you to talk about just highbrow things mm. and only really talk about, you know, world affairs, international politics and talk about the, the history connected to it. And then if you throw in that you've also watched Jersey Shore or you've also liked watching a bit of Celebrity Big Brother and maybe a bit of Towie, suddenly people look at you like you're hugely unintelligent. And I've always pushed back against that because the news isn't me completely it's it's part of me I'm a sum of many parts and I've never hidden the other parts of me because I don't see why I should and if someone thinks that I'm unintelligent as a result of the other things I like in my life that's on them not on me Mm. so loose is a perfect vehicle for that because it does show the different sums of me the different parts of me and the things I like and the things I like talking about and also I learned so much. You know, I knew nothing about the menopause before I started on Loose. Absolutely nothing. Went to an all-girls school. They didn't teach us anything about it. I genuinely thought that it lasted like a month and then you were over it and then you get on with the rest of your life because that's sort of how it was taught to us at school. And I feel really blessed to sit in a room with women 
when I when I'm when I'm over at Lee's, I feel just incredible to learn from them in a way that perhaps wouldn't have been able to before. I feel ready to deal with being pre uh, perimenop- perimenopausal. I feel ready to deal with the menopause. I feel ready to spot the signs. If I had not sat in the room, especially with Nadia, with Nadia Swala, sat in a room with her, it's like an education, and they have taught me so much. And I like loose in a way that we sort of sit there. And there are women my age who haven't gone through the menopause yet who will also sit there and go, wow, I didn't know that. And no one's ever taught me that before. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible place to be. I absolutely love it. I still can't believe I'm on the show, Gabby. And <laughs> I still sort of walk into that building and I still get that feeling of this is really exciting because I think I feel really blessed to be to be doing it I love it it is as you say there a show that can bring those topics to life for people because a lot of people like experience kind of their education about the menopause like you nothing you know what I mean like until I started doing this even I you know I really didn't know the symptoms are so massive yeah. and varied and you know can start much younger than people expect as well so so I assume there was no conversation growing up from mothers grandmothers no yeah. and actually I took my aunt away to Centre Parks for her 70th in February so me and the kids and my brother and sister and stuff and my niece we all went to Centre Parks for her 70th and I spoke to her about that actually because she's now now she's 70 yeah she's 70 so she's at the tail end and she's a lot better she's been through it and she's fine now but now that I've learned about it on loose I realize that so much of her anger and a lot of her frustration and a lot of her mood swings were because of the menopause Mm. but she never spoke to us about it so I remember sitting in the spa with her at center parks and I talked to her about it and I sort of said do you do you see now that everything that you were going through in your late 50s and your 60s was because of the menopause and she said well yes so why didn't you talk to us about it we always just thought you were just being moody um and being um unreasonable and you know uh, you know just not always being a very nice person because none of us knew about the menopause if you had sat and spoken to us about it then we would have had more of an understanding and she says yeah but that's just not what you did you didn't mm. talk about it and I said I really really wish you had I said because it probably would have been easier for you to to cope with and we would have educated ourselves so we would have done the things that have made your life easier you know made sure the room was cooler made sure that we didn't go anywhere that would bring you out in hot flushes understand that was when HRT you go up and down with an mood, option was, was HRT she didn't want to do I asked her about that and she said she didn't want she's that generation where mm. they were scaremongered out of using it saying you know and I said to her well now I know more about it it's something that I will use because I've educated myself about it due to being on on loose and I felt quite upset because I wish I'd had more knowledge about it because I wish I was able to help her more but there's like a whole generation of women who've all been through exactly the same thing and I really hope that now we're raising a generation of girls and women who won't feel embarrassed about going through the menopause and actually feel like they can talk to people about it talk to each other about it even is there a cultural difference in the attitude towards menopause do you think in the you know black in the Caribbean community no it's women We've been raised to be embarrassed about doing something, going through something that all of us go through. We've all been taught to be embarrassed yeah. about that. And I don't think culturally that makes a difference. No, it's no. just 
how the world treats women. Or how, because um, in my kind of learnings, um, I had IVF and discovered that if you've had IVF, you, your menopause can start a bit earlier because you've already had a kind of a tinkering of your hormones, if you like. So of you've course, already kind of, yeah. so, um, so hence I, I was a bit, probably a bit earlier than, or started perimenopause a bit earlier than I was expecting. But I also learned that women from the um, Indian subcontinent tend to start their menopause earlier uh, for various reasons, which all those things, you know, are so important to have as knowledge, aren't they? If you're, you know, if you are somebody who's of Indian descent and, you know, those things, you should know about that. You know, yeah. I probably should have known about it's the fact half that the I've population. <laughs> yeah. Half the population. That's what we talk about. It's like it's half the population going through something that we're all taught to be embarrassed about. I'm very, very open about things like periods and stuff with my kids and especially with Alfie because I don't want to grow another generation of men who see it as being like this icky thing that no one should talk about literally half the population has periods so you know if he asks me I use a menstrual cup and he'll ask me what that is and I'll explain to him I said it's because mummy has a period mummy has a period every month and that's the reason why you're here and that's the reason why Florence is here because this is something that mummy's mummy's body does he's like oh right okay you, know, you cannot imagine that happening in households like 20 years ago. It's not no, a conversation no. you have with your boys. But I just think we do as parents have a responsibility not to raise another generation of men that see that sort of thing as being strange or something we don't talk about or something that's a bit icky. No, literally half the population go through it. Somebody picked up on um, something I said about how I wanted men to have the conversation about menopause, not because I want to embarrass them, but because it's so important. Men live with women, they work Mm. with women, they need to know what's going on. And so I was asked to go on Jeremy Vine's show just to kind of elaborate on that. Well, he has callers, obviously, and this woman rang up and she was, she sounded like she was the captain of a tennis club in Surrey and she was very cross with me. And she said, "Um, I really think it's outrageous you're asking men to get themselves involved in this topic and you really should she was so I I didn't quite know how to respond to her because she was so cross with me for upsetting men and I thought well there are always going to be those that think you know it's uh it's not a topic that they and I said to her look I don't want everybody on the bus you know to embarrass people you know on the number 65 bus to kind of like have a conversation but the point is it's as you say with what you're doing with your son it's knowledge isn't it and it's you know empowerment and so I think you know my son's 16 he knows everything about the female, you know, body in terms of what it goes through and, you know, makes him so much more empathetic, actually. Yeah, to, and it means that know, the girls that he's around will feel friends. less shame. Yeah. yeah, they'll feel less shame about it because they're around someone that, that, that gets it and understands it and isn't treating them like they're some alien being just because they have a menstrual cycle and go through the menopause. I think, you know, we've had too many generations of women and girls having to, to deal with that and hide it. You know, being on your period at work and having to hide your tampon as you go to, (laughs) you know, sliding it up. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't want anyone to know that you're going to the toilet uh, um, to change your tampon. It's like, why are we, why are we taught to be ashamed of something that we all go through. And it leads to so I'm sure it leads to so many other issues as well in terms oh, of you know, yeah. the way we see women's yeah. bodies and all of that. But in terms of your own ageing process, you said you're in your training kit. Is exercise <laughs> something that you're... Uh, are you fond of it? Do you have it kind of... Do you have to force yourself to, to do it? Or is it something that um, as you're getting older, you're valuing more and more? Uh, Julie Etchingham, who I work with, is a very average... You all know Julie. Um, yeah, no, Julie is yeah. an average runner. 
And she, I'm always really jealous of her posts on Instagram when she's posting up going through Richmond Park and going for a run. I'm like, oh, I'm being just so lazy. And she always sits me down and she says, no, Charlene, you have young kids. As my kids are older, I've got a lot more time for doing that. It's so much more difficult when your kids are younger. She says, don't beat yourself up about it. So I always think about, Julie's very wise. I always think about that when I'm slacking with my, <laughs> with my exercise. But I go through periods where, life and work are just so hectic that I just I can't fit it in Mm. and when Florence is going through a period of not sleeping well and I barely slept and I have to make a judgment call if I get up and I do um something for half an hour an hour the knock-on effects I'm going to be absolutely exhausted for work when I get in so I always have to make that judgment call but at the moment I'm going through a phase of right I need to do it three times a week and I need to try and stick with it. I need to fit it in to my day, not pack my days too much with work as I have done and give myself time because I enjoy it. So give myself time to do it because it's something that leaves me feeling light and leaves me feeling, it's the endorphins, isn't it? It leaves me feeling like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can tackle the day. But it gives you, it perversely gives you energy. The hard thing about it when you're really tired and you've got young kids is, it's the last thing you want to do, but actually it can kind of just regenerate you yeah. for the rest of the day. I tell you what, as, as a good tip that I picked up and I did at this Wim Hof show I'd just done recently with Patrice Evra. And Patrice um, is a big fan of just doing the longest plank that he can do for about five or six minutes. Um, so we got into doing lots of planks because we could do them anytime, any place. And he was telling us about various teammates of his from the French national football team who nowadays all they do is plank because it's so good really? for their core, core yeah, strength. Yeah. yeah, And so you can actually do that in your pyjamas for, for five minutes. Do you know what I mean? You could just do a minute plank, a minute off and suddenly 10 minutes you've done you know a bit of exercise. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's a really good tip actually. That's a really and, um, good tip. Yeah, and because you're holding your, you know, your upper body, so you're kind of increasing your strength in your arms, you're increasing your strength in your torso. So good old Patrice, and he, you know, Ugh. swears by it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there you go. That's that's your takeaway. Uh, I'm going to try that. That, that, that's that's what me tonight after work. Do a little. Gabby says so, I've got a plank. <laughs> Do a bit of plank. You could do it. Think about planks as well. You could do it watching telly. You can do it pretty much anywhere, can't you? Um, So are there any other kind of signs yet coming your way? Do you think that things are changing? Do you notice yourself kind of saying things or doing things that are your kind of (laughs) midpoint moments? Because we, I always ask, um, you know, the listeners to give me their ideas of kind of what that means to them. Midpoint means to them. And Ord says, walking with my daughter and feeling completely invisible. I know what that's like because I've got a beautiful Mm. 16 year old daughter and you suddenly realize that you know you, you, it's not that you want the attention but you suddenly realize that you're older because uh, you know people are turning <laughs> their heads looking at this young girl and just knowing it was time to start saying no this is a common thing this is from Roz but that p- empowerment from saying no do you know what I mean when you kind of yeah. say no and feel actually it's, I'm all right with that decision and I'll give you another one this is from Charlotte Carlyle trying to find me again is harder than it sounds which is, oh, wow. um, yeah, that's that's quite um, quite sad, actually. Makes me yeah. quite kind of sad for that that's, yeah. But that is a common theme, isn't it? Because people mm. have have their kids leaving home, you know, in their 40s, that you won't have that problem. Uh, empty nest will not be your <laughs> problem pe- until... <laughs> I'll be a pensioner by the time that happens. <laughs> but finding yourself is, you know, is... Does that come out um, from the loose women, that kind of an empty nest thing and losing yourself a little bit? Yeah, ever... it's, it's, it's really... It's, that's the beauty of that show is we were all at such different stages in our lives that talking to a lot of the the women whose whose 
girls and boys are about to head off to university and stuff or moving in with their boyfriends and what have you and the emotions surrounding that they'll sort of turn to me and go oh it's it's quite a while before you're going to get to that but yeah 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 I know thanks very much for that um so yeah it's it's beautiful but I learn from them and learn from them in that way like I love the fact that Jane holidays with her mates loads but also individually takes her girls on holidays individually as well so she has quality time with yeah. them because they've moved uh, you know out of home or what have you or heading yeah. off to uni I'm like oh yeah I think I'd like to do that with my yeah. kids when they're older I used to well. love going so on holiday with my mum in my 20s before I had kids you know kind of yeah. me and my husband would take her to places as well you know just kind of and oh. it was it's so nice because it's so different that relationship yeah. you know it changes so much so um, so much to look forward to Charlene you've oh, got coming down so the track Um, but in terms of like feeling the midpoint I would say Mm. (laughs) I felt it yesterday I worked with a a lovely PA called Danny and she was going out she was talking my ear last night uh, on the news last night she's like yeah she says I'm going out for dinner but the table's not booked till like quarter past nine half past nine so we're going to go out for drinks beforehand then we're like I'm sorry you booked dinner for half past nine I was like yeah she won't eat till maybe quarter past ten I was like literally cannot think of anything worse at this stage in my life, there's someone booking dinner for half past nine, ten o'clock. Literally, because they've got anything worth. Someone else was like, oh, yeah, but Charlene, do you remember when that would... Yeah, yeah, I do remember that was a norm for me. But currently, couldn't yeah. think of totally anything with you worse. On that. I, the last few oh. tables I booked have been 6.30. I mean, literally, I booked tables for <laughs> 6.30. So I was thinking, oh, I can be home by nine o'clock and in my pyjamas. Uh, that's a dream <laughs> night out. And... <laughs> And I was at a um, 50th in October in France and it was a lovely day. We'd gone to a vineyard and the, the girl whose birthday it was, it was couples. We'd had a really nice day. Then we had a dinner. That's perfect, right? Then somebody stupidly suggested a nightclub and I got all grumpy and I was like, why are we ruining the day? We've had a great day. We're <laughs> we ruining this, everything. Yeah, we went to this horrific nightclub where of course we couldn't get cabs at the end, you know, and I was just going, whose idea was this? And my husband was going to me, smile and pretend to enjoy yourself. And um, I was like, but the day was perfect until now. There's always and, one person, there's always one person that ruins it. But there's always, when you're younger you just don't want it to end do you the night that's why nightclubs exist and then when you get to well certainly my age which is pretty much 49 I'm nearly 49 and that's you know no I do want the night to end (laughs) yeah and then it's it's the fear so I was talking to my mum about this it's the fear of having one drink too many when you've got young kids because you know you've got to deal with them in the morning and there's like a one drink difference between it being okay and it being absolutely horrendous to have to deal with them the next morning so I will go out for dinner and then it'll get to a point where I'm like yeah I just want to go home and I had my friend's 40th a few weeks ago we'd gone to this great Chinese restaurant near Baker Street and we'd done like a shot and something after dinner everyone's like in a really good place like yeah let's go to karaoke in Soho let's go to karaoke and I just went "Mm, no I said I'm just going to get a taxi home because the thought of getting home at three o'clock in the morning and then my kids getting up at half past six I just won't enjoy karaoke because all I'd be thinking about is having to deal with them on the Sunday so I just got in a taxi literally I was like guys have a lovely time 
And how virtuous did you feel on the Sunday morning when you were oh having Oh my a- goodness, I felt amazing. Yeah. Um, when in like the group chat, everyone's like, I'm hanging, I feel awful, why did we do that? I was like, that is why I was sensible. And it's taken me a long time to educate my husband that nobody notices if you're not there for the last drink. Because right? I, when I first met him, I think somebody <laughs> must have informed him when he was a child that it's rude not to be the last person to leave a party. Because he was always like, why are we always the last people here? And it's taken a long time, but now he finally gets that it's okay and I always say to my kids as well you know now they're starting to go out you know don't feel you have to kind of like go to the end you know you can yeah. walk away from something and nobody will notice yeah. but I mean of yeah. course nothing I say is wise or you know I don't know no. <laughs> I've never been young and I'm accepting that so, you know uh, mum You've what never been have I ever done? Yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> struck by the fact that at the very beginning of our conversation, you talked about planning and looking ahead to the future, and you're ahead. You're ahead of your own plan, which is amazing. Is <laughs> is that something that you get kind of like? Does your partner slightly ridicule you about that, or is he kind of similar? No, because he's used to it. He's he's right. used to it. You know, he it's it, because it's not something that's developed in in older age. It's just how I've always been. So yeah. he always knows that I like plan things out. Right, this is what I want to do by the end of this year. This is what I want to do by the end of next year. This is where I see myself. So he's very much used to that, and he is in the business. He's um he he gets it really, and he you know he always sort of says you know you always have a plan. I was like no of course because otherwise. I'm not going to leave everything to chance. No one's, very few people's career, I think, just happens by chance. Does that mean family life is is structured? Is family life very planned as well? (laughs) Well, my my kids have been in a sleep schedule since they were both, well, Alfie since he was four months old and Florence since she was six months old because I knew that I was going to go back to work when they were both eight months Mm -hmm. and I knew I couldn't do that unless they were in a schedule. So I may say that we are quite regimented in terms of this is when they have their breakfast, this is when they have the lunch, this is dinner time and this is bedtime because that works for us and our family mm. life and actually planning to do stuff. So mm. my reasoning was, you know, if we want to go out for dinner, if we want to meet friends, whoever is looking after them, we don't want them struggling to put them to bed for hours. Mm. Mm. And also they are happy when they know what they're doing. The kids so know is he, what the is he, is. he goes along with all that because actually life runs a lot smoother for him as well. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. And when I was when I sleep trained Alfie he was very traumatised by the entire thing because I just did the leave him to scream it out for a couple of nights and then suddenly he was sleeping for 12 hours and I think he was probably a little more emotionally scarred by that than I was but it worked I said we've got to trust in the process and that it will work because I cannot he had um, silent reflux so I basically wasn't yeah. sleeping he refused to take a bottle so I was the only person that could feed him and I was like I cannot survive like this mm. so he has to get in to a sleep schedule because I just feel like I'm on the brink of absolutely yeah. losing my mind. So it was a win-win. Yeah, the reason I ask if he kind of takes the mickey is because my I am you know very organised and had been for the similar reasons in terms of children growing up because working and trying to kind of make sure everything happened, organising and planning ahead uh, for family life. And to the point where my husband will joke with me and say things like, "Well, what is the weather going to be like next week in Leicester when you're working there, and which route do you think you will be taking?" Uh, because because I, I'm, I'm always on an, and I, sometimes I fall for it and go, "Well, I can tell you right now it will take two hours twenty minutes to get there." Um, and I don't know if I can even. even though I want to feel I want to be like water and go with the flow like Tamsin Outhway I'm not sure I can ever fully kind of release that you know it's it, I think it is a 
part it's part of me you know it's part of my yeah. and so. I always think that someone one of the one of the working parents has to be that person yeah otherwise things just kind of fall apart They're gr- gr- and you forget hold. stuff yeah <laughs> so I've now had to get into the habit people have sort of, sort of seen it but how do you do the whole working in the the kids thing and I've had to I can be very disorganized in my work life and people are constantly trying to chase me for things but when school sends a list of dates of things that are coming up I'll immediately go into my phone and put it in the calendar because I'll just be mortified if uh, Alfie turned up to school and in in his school uniform and actually it was own clothes day or something because I know that emotionally he'll get really really upset about that and I don't want him to be upset He's far more emotional child than I am an adult. My daughter's much more like me. I know have Florence you seen, really have you seen the scene from Motherland where yes. um, she forgets, <laughs> she gets well booked? <laughs> if you haven't seen this, you need to Google it now. It's oh um, one of the great uh, moments where she creates two outfits in the playground for World Book Day, um, which I'm sure, is, I mean, I, you know, oh. that was a game changer for me. When the kids started school and the school email started oh. and all of that, you think, you think you've got your life in control and then suddenly this whole layer of admin arrives oh. and you just... It's the it's, school emails, it's the school rep emails, it's the WhatsApp groups and now we've had to join class list or something and I'm like, I literally can't keep across all this stuff. This is just... It's blowing my mind so I did sort of try to take a stand and say I don't think we should have to go to class list it's far too much stuff and then no one was backing me so I was like oh right okay well, looks like we're doing <laughs> that sounds sounds then. a bit like the time that I um, I declared that I didn't think they should be having Krispy Kreme donuts every Friday when they were four years old because uh, there was this Krispy Kreme thing, and I said I think that's a lot of sugar, and yeah. expecting the other parents to come back on the WhatsApp agreeing with me, and li- literally I was this tumbleweed, <laughs> and I was like, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> I see where we are here, right? Okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna slowly step away from the group. Um, it is it's a minefield of, of politics, and that is the one thing actually. Mine a year away from leaving school, and you know the release of all that admin. What am I going to do oh, with my time? Gabby, I'm, I'm going to learn Mandarin. <laughs> stop showing off, Gabby. No one likes a show off. <laughs> it's been so lovely chatting to you, Charlene. Thank you so much uh, for joining this us. You're a, I don't know whether I'm allowed to ask you the question. Have Have you got the next five years? Do we know what you're going to be doing for the next five years? What's the big end goal? Or do you not? release your do you not release no I can't <laughs> tell people what the plan is right if okay it doesn't happen I'll be I'll look like a bit of a failure but no all all will be revealed there's always but it's a going plan Gavin. very very well now thank you and uh have a, a wonderful uh, rest of your day and really appreciate the time that you've given us today Charlene it's been lovely thank you, you I really enjoyed that and it was lovely to virtually meet you Gabby <laughs> yeah and you Dawn Harper's here. Let's fess up. Okay, we had a few technicals, which is why Charlene's gone. So it's just you and me, and we can focus on. <laughs> I haven't seen you for years, Dawn. Um, you were very kind and came on a show I used to do called Live with Gabby on Channel Five, and that's where we first met. Yeah, um, and we've both aged since then. We both, which is good. <laughs> Aging is good because it means we're both still here. We're still alive and kicking. I have a lovely, lovely um, elderly lady who comes to see me fairly regularly. She's got a lot of medical problems, and she says, "Oh, doctor." don't get old and then she says every time she says to me she says mind you 
the alternative's not much. Exactly. She's right. Um, Of course, a lot of people know you from your telework on embarrassing bodies, right? So I thought we'd tap into that today. There's so many things that go on in our bodies in midlife. And one of those, I'm going to do one for each gender here, one for each sex, is um, the dry vagina for the women (laughs) and erectile dysfunction for men. So the dry vagina first, um, which was brought to this podcast attention by the lovely Davina McCall, who who kind of threw it right out there as a topic. And, And I was like, oh, Oh, what is what is this? And then it's quite sad, actually, when I started reading up and learning more about the pain that some women go through when they haven't actually got HRT to deal with it, which is really important, isn't it, in dealing with it? So tell us a little bit about it and what's going on in the body. Right. Well, I'm thrilled to be talking about this, Gabby, because actually just over half of perimenopausal and postmenopausal women will suffer with vaginal dryness. Um, and even since having done embarrassing bodies, you know, I think that really did... Um, Often patients will wait to see me and they'll say, I've waited to see you because I know you don't mind seeing the embarrassing stuff. And of course, none of us mind seeing the embarrassing stuff. Um, But even with that kind of hat on, the number of people who actually come in and and proactively talk to me about vagina dryness is very, very few. Usually it's something that I might pick up on if I'm examining a lady for another reason and just say, you know, is, is sex uncomfortable? And so often I will either get, what's that? Haven't done it for years. Or my partner is very um, long-suffering. And a lot of people in an extreme give up on a sex life altogether when they really don't need to. Uh, And sometimes then actually give up on any form of intimacy for fear of it progressing to penetrative sex. And it's so easy to manage. Okay, so uh, well done, Davina, (laughs) for bringing that up. It's it's a subject that I think we do need to talk about more often. Um, it can have a massive impact on a woman's emotional well-being, but it is very easily managed. I actually work with a company called Dr. Wolf, um, and they produce a non-hormonal uh, vaginal cream that you can use to help lubricate the vagina. Um, and I know a lot of ladies are still anxious about HRT. I, I, I have to say, you know, pre the Million Women study and so on, I barely saw. Uh, I did a surgery without seeing a menopausal woman wanting to discuss HRT. And overnight, with all those scary headlines, women just disappeared and didn't come and have those conversations. The pendulum is swinging back, which is a really good thing. But there is still an anxiety for some Mm. women around hormones. But it doesn't have to be HRT by patch or by tablet, for example. You can use estrogen pessaries or creams just locally in the vagina to treat this symptom and the thing about vaginal dryness associated with the menopause is whilst most our menopausal symptoms will disappear over a period of time so the Uh. mood swings the flushes the night sweats and so on if you talk to your average lady in her 60s she'll say oh yes it was i went Uh. through that but i'm out the other side vaginal dryness tends to persist Uh. Uh, so it's really something i would very much want to encourage women to come and have those conversations with. You can buy, as I say, the the Vagisan non-hormonal cream over the counter. Uh, And most pharmacists today will have a private area where you can go and have a private consultation. You don't need to be discussing your vaginal dryness over the counter next door to somebody who's buying nail varnish. Which is just brilliant. Uh... But equally, you know, if you want to think about something like an estrogen Topically, that's something that as a GP I can prescribe for you and and it makes it absolutely revolutionises. Brilliant, brilliant advice. Thank you. And just very um, briefly, um, the the male erectile 
dysfunction kind of area is often associated with kind of getting older midlife hormones. What What's going on for a man when things start changing in that department? So we, we think about erectile dysfunction in a kind of psychological and the physical, if you like. Now, of course, as soon as there has been a problem once, psychology also kicks in and so you, often it's not one or the other, it's a mixture of the two. But where I would really encourage men to come forward and speak to their doctor, and you can ask to see a male doctor, we, you know, we deal with this problem all the time. Sometimes erectile dysfunction, so not being able to get an erection that is uh, persistent or hard enough for penetrative sex, may be a sign of vascular disease. Uh, so it's a really important thing that we check mm. you out, and, and we use that as the opportunity to give you a bit of an mm-hmm. MOT. Sometimes we find that if we do, for example, there are a number of different drugs like Viagra available that we can prescribe. And quite often I might see a gentleman who maybe I've prescribed Viagra or one of the others to, let's say, a year or so ago, and maybe I see him in a completely unrelated um, problem, and then I'll say, uh, you know, how did you get on with the Viagra? And oh, great, it worked. And then I just felt great and I didn't need right. it again. But I think it's important that we do see people so that we can do that MOT check. We tend to give men a hard time about not coming to the doctor. But to be fair to most men, uh, you know, a, a guy in his 30s and 40s, for example, is probably possibly even still registered with his mum's GP, and that might be hundreds of miles yeah. away. Whereas as women, we, we have a relationship with our GP surgery, mm. don't we? We go for contraception. Well, we if you've had children kids. as well, you've had to take them for all their jabs and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. So we have a relationship with our surgery. We probably even know which doctor we like to go and see. So it's not such an no. intimidating place. For a guy, they, they may not even know where the surgery is locally to them. They don't have that relationship. And, and I hear all the time that getting an appointment to see us isn't always as, as easy as people would like it to be. And that's a frustration, mm. I think, on both sides of the fence. So I, I think what I'd say is, you know, please don't be intimidated. Um, if you or your partner is struggling uh, with erectile dysfunction, it's something that we definitely want to hear about. And we do just need to give you a bit of MOT. And we can Dawn, you. thank you so, so much. Will you come back on? I would love that's to. Wonderful. I would love to. Okay. And we'll get my technology sorted next time. <laughs> You're so brilliant i mean the way you you just encapsulated those two quite difficult areas made them so kind of easy to understand takeaway advice i think you'll no doubt have changed and, and affected a lot of people with that advice so Bless thank you. you i hope so and have a have a great day thank you dawn take care my thanks to Dr. Dawn Harper for her brilliant no-nonsense advice on tricky topics. She's always fantastic at those hard subjects people don't always like talking about. Please go see a doctor if anything she said there resonated with you. And wasn't Charlene brilliant? I loved getting to know her. I am desperate to see how this five-year plan unfolds, as she said herself. She's ahead of the curve when it comes to her goals and her plans, and her career is flying. You can see why. She's got a brilliant combination of fun, she's spirited, she's got a good sense of humour, and enormous intelligence so i think we're going to see her on telly for a very long time to come thank you to solgar for sponsoring and remember you get 30 percent off if you use the code the midpoint on their website so go check that out thank you to lauren carter armstrong for producing and to you not just for listening but also for contributing because you've been answering my questions on social media about midpoint moments and there have been some brilliant ones and uh, i like this one this made me a little bit sad and wistful actually because
because this will be me in a year's time. Uh, Sia Bunsaba said, the moment my twins left to go to university, double joy, then double loss. Um, Crazy1844 says, developing an addiction to garden centres. I'm, I'm with you on this. Not so much to garden centres, but just the idea of planting. I'm just creeping into this. And Cassie Jane, 1985, says, I'm 37, but I feel like I've discovered my midpoint after a year of huge change. Is it too soon? No. Welcome to the club, Cassie Jane. You can always have another midpoint later. Thanks a lot, guys, and I'll see you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.